You are listening to the Twibbly Podcast, or This Week Was Way Better Last Year, a comedy podcast looking back at this week in history. You can find us on Spotify, iTunes, Amazon Music, Podbean, iHeartRadio, or wherever you like to get your podcasts from. If you want to follow us on social medias or message us with some suggestions for worst ever segments, you can do that over on Facebook or Instagram using TWWWBLY. Hey, welcome back to Twibbly, or this week was way better last year. My name is Bill with 1L. With me, he is lowering the drinking age to 10 years old, but you're going to need ID. Let's be real. It's Mr. Jeff McLaughlin. Belly up to the bar, kiddies. It's uh, time (laughs) for some cookies and beer. (laughs) You know what movie that's from? No, I have no idea what movie that's from. No, we watched that at Virtual Movie Night, Night of the Comet. Oh my gosh, okay, so that was, I've only seen that movie twice in my whole life. Once, when I've it was on HBO. I've only seen that movie once. <laughs> and then I've only once seen that movie once, we... but that line, that line is from the trailer, you know, the commercial that they would oh. advertise it on TV. Yeah, so yeah. that that's like, seriously, that line's like the best part of that movie. It is indeed. <laughs> hey, you know what I did this week? No, what'd you do this week? I did not buy a PlayStation. And why did I not buy a PlayStation? Because I had to spend 500 and, oh, I think it was $530 on a plumber. Oh, that's surprisingly inexpensive. What did you have, like a washer replaced? (laughs) Surprisingly inexpensive, yeah. Drippy faucet? Yeah, basically a plumber just like walks in your door and you you need a new mortgage, yeah. And drives by your house and it's 500 bucks. <laughs> no, I had a, a slow drain in my oh. bathtub. Yep. And you know, I, I got long hair, so I figured it just got, got like clogged up in there. Mm-hmm. So I hit it with a plunger, right? Yep. And one of those like m- big mambo plungers, you know? Right, right. And then it started draining. I was like, hey, victory. So then I went downstairs later on. Uh, I was going to go play some video games. I was like, I better check just to, oh my God, dude, what a <laughs> F word disaster. Yeah, I'm sure. So, yeah. So what had happened was I didn't fix the drain. I broke the pipe. Yep. I broke the pipe underneath the tub and it just, the, my bathtub just drained into the, my mm. basement. Oh, Nick. Yeah. Not good. Now, look, lucky for me, about 12 years ago, I had the bathroom completely redone. Yep. So all the pipes downstairs are really visible and, uh, you know, easy accessible. Right. But a plumber, like I said, the second he walks in the door, it's $500. Right. He's looking and he goes, all right, go, like, I'm going to be downstairs. You go upstairs and just turn it on, like, real quick. You know, let's see, you know, how, how bad it's leaking. Mm-hmm. As soon as I turn it on, I hear, turn it off, turn it off. <laughs> That's usually what happens when you've got yep. just a straight pipe into the basement. Yeah, that's exactly what was happening. Yeah. So what had happened was the the pipe that's right underneath the tub, as soon as he took it off, you know, because that's what had to be replaced. Yeah, yes. As soon as he took it off, it just fell apart. Yeah. It just cracked like right in half. Yeah, So that's that happens, especially if it's like an old, uh, I don't know if it's cast iron, but I think that the really old ones are treated cast iron and eventually they just crumble. Nope, this is PVC. This is new. Oh, okay. It's only 12 years old. Oh, yeah. You just told me that you had your bathroom done 12 years ago, so yeah. forget I said that. And then, after he fixed the pipe and you know kept me from buying a PlayStation, uh, he was like, he fills up the tub. He goes, oh, yeah, still draining slow. And then he left. He didn't even <laughs> fix that. You'd think when he had the broken part off, he'd like run the... You know the the big uh, roto rooter down the pipe to try and clear things out, or yeah, or open up the uh, the trap. Yeah, I've spent the last week with liquid plumber. Yeah, like the one to like not if you have a clog, the one that's like the the treatment so that it doesn't clog. Right. So I've been doing that like once a day, once every other day, and then lightly plunging, not mm-hmm. going at it like I did before because I don't want to break the pipe again right right but lightly plunging and then just this morning my pipes 
burped, like burped out uh-huh. at you, like yeah, like you know, whenever the drain finally gets unclogged, it makes yeah. those yes. they, they make it that releases noise. All the, releases all the gas that's been holding whatever the clog is in place. Exactly. So it's not really a clog. It was just like a, a yeah, because the, the water drained eventually. It right. just took a long time. No, this time it was like burp. yeah, it just burped at me. So I think we're done. I think we're done. Knock on wood. That's me knocking on wood. Well, as fun as this conversation about drains has been. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, hey, Jeff, uh, this is uh, the week of Thanksgiving, I think, it, right? It is. Yeah, I believe so. It's either this week or next week. I don't know. Um, anyway, I have a Thanksgiving-based trivia question. Excellent. Bring it on. Which turkeys, the males or the females, or is it both? Multiple choice question. Mm-hmm. Which turkeys make the gobble, gobble, gobble noise? Male, female, or both? I will tell you at the end of the show. All right. And then I'm going to have a cooking question for you after. All right. I, I All like right. those. Good. All right. So this is the week beginning November the 20th, and I do believe it is your turn to start. It is, in fact, my turn. And on November 20th, we're going to begin with a celebrity. And I have the upward inflection because I don't know that he's done anything but this. But mm-hmm. a celebrity birthday. It is the Go man on. who, in uh, 1968 or so, brought the fuzz to the song Spirit in the Sky, Norman Greenbaum, who was born in Malden, Massachusetts. Probably best known for his hit single, Tars of India. <laughs> yes, I'm sure. Made enough money, certainly, from Spirit in the Sky that he hasn't ever had to work again. At least that's what I've read. It's a song that is still in heavy rotation on like classic rock radio. If you were to put on classic rock radio, I guarantee you, you would hear it once every three hours. It's a good song, good tune. Uh, yeah, but I'm looking at the Spotify, and the song Spirit in the Sky has literally had almost half a billion plays. Yep. That's a lot of money, dude. That's a lot of money. Admittedly, I think that some percentage of that number of plays is because it shows up on mixed playlists that Spotify generates based on era, you know, the 60s or the 70s or the hippie movement or whatever. Um, And it gets a lot of play because it mixes in so well with those different variations on genre. But... Right. I know it's one that's also has its fan base that will like, I have to listen to this song again today. since 1968. Listen to it every day uh, at least twice. While you were talking, I ran the numbers. That's $1.5 million just off Spotify. Right. You know, Spotify's only been around for X amount of years, and this that's already generated $1.5 million to Norman Greenbaum. And, I mean, granted, a lot of that's going to go to the record company. Mm-hmm. You know, who, whoever owns the copyrights, I'm sure he gets some residuals out of that. Right. But still, it's Norman Greenbaum. It's not like it's a band. It's not right. like they're going to divvy that money up out of five people. It's just a Norm and his guitar, and he's got a friend of Jesus. Maybe he gets some money to him, too. <laughs> I always remember first hearing that song in an advertisement for like great songs of the 60s on UHF-TV. And it was uh-huh. a, a collection of records from the late 60s that were just compilations like that KTEL would put out. And they always mm-hmm. featured that song playing in the background as part of the track listings were shown on the screen. And that was how I very first heard it until I found it, bumping into it on classic radio at a deli where I used to work. I first heard it on MTV because there was a one-hit wonder called Doctor in the Medics that did a pretty immaculate cover of it. Ah. Yep. I do not remember them at all. I do, and I just talked about it. Ah. <laughs> all right, moving on. November 21st of 1871, a man by the name of M.F., and I can only imagine what that stands for, M.F. Galethi patents the cigar lighter. So I guess cigarettes didn't really even exist at that point. So nah, 1871, so. the cigar lighter is, is patented. So I've gone back and looked at this patent, and... Yep. I don't understand what I'm looking at. There's just a drawing of what looks like an upside-down light bulb with a fire shooting across the top of it and, and a bent lamp stem. So it's 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 beyond my understanding. I'm looking at it right now, and you can make an argument that this thing is for other things than lighting cigars. <laughs> it is. Like I can see, like, even those things are cigar-oriented, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dr. Freud's version of cigar, right? Exactly, yes. But, like, I could just picture, like, this, like, some harumphy guy, like, pulling this out of his pocket to light a cigar. And his yeah. wife is like, 
oh, George, the children are around, you know? Right, right. Save that for the bedroom. <laughs> both of us, you and I, are both ex-smokers. Yes. Um, I've, I've been done for closer to 10 years than I am to nine years, and I know you have a head start on me because you also had a heart attack. Yeah. Uh, how long has it been since you've smoked? Uh, it was the last time I had a cigarette. It was August 18th, 2009. Yeah, you got a few years on me. Mine was mm-hmm. in 2014, so five years. You know, I think about that a lot, like like how much money I saved by not smoking. I remember when I had to buy my car, I was like a little depressed that I had to part with like $15,000. But I did the math in my head and I literally saved that much by quitting smoking. Right. You know? What I also don't take into account is how many cigarette lighters I have bought over the years because, <laughs> my God, I always lost them, always. They were the easiest things ever to, lo- to lose. Um, hand it yeah. off to somebody and then it's gone. You'd never see it again. I remember one time like one of my friends had like one of those fancy Zippo lighters. Yep. I don't know. Like Maybe somebody asked me if I wanted one for my birthday or for Christmas. I'm like, no, no, because I'm going to lose it. I'm not going right. to keep that. I'm going to lose that. And that's another thing about this, like, cigar lighter. This doesn't look like it would fit comfortably in your pocket. Right. And it also looks like you're going to, like, spill, you know, probably kerosene or whatever <laughs> yeah, you fill it with. I was looking at that. I'm like, geez, it must be like a bulb full of benzene or something terrifying that you yeah. wouldn't, definitely wouldn't want to walk around with in something that appears to be a squeeze bulb. Right. Definitely going to guess that. It's going to be a liquid flammable and not a gaseous flammable like a Bic lighter. Right. It's going to be a, a liquid flammable like a Zippo. And like I said, at this point, how much better is that than, I mean, were there strike matches in 1871? No, not yet. They no. weren't invented until much later in the 1800s. Yeah. The way that they- For Christ's sake, how do people smoke? So- uh, Why was smoking even a thing if it's such a pain in the ass to get it going? There's a video you can find, I think it's probably still on YouTube, from an old TV show called What the Victorians Did for Us. And in yep. that show, one episode of that show, they talk about the development of the like the phosphorus match, the red phosphorus match. And before that, yep. it was like a tube, a paper-covered tube with a piece of glass inside or a glass tube inside of the paper that you'd squeeze with a pair of pliers and it would shoot fire out of one side and you could use it to like light a stove. And that was as close as you had to um, strike on box matches before strike on box matches were invented. Hold on, Harry. I want to light my cigar. Let me bang these two rocks together. Right. Here. Let me spray this red hot flammable liquid in your face from this little tube. Let me stick my face in the campfire. (laughs) Exactly. So. I don't know. uh, Yeah. Like, I don't know how those big ass mustaches became in vogue and just be burning it off. Yeah. Smells like burnt hair in here. Well, you know, I did light a cigar. That's uh, so why I have I was, no eyebrows. I was harumphing, actually, after all. All right, what do we got for the 22nd? November 22nd is an auspicious day. In 1968, the very first interracial kiss takes place. Well, it's not the very first interracial kiss, but it's the very first interracial kiss broadcast <laughs> on television. Uh, and it is broadcast on, of all places, an episode yep. of Star Trek. Or as it's known now, Star Trek, the old series yep. named Plato's Stepchildren. Here's me, well, actually, pushing my glasses up. It was the first scripted interracial kiss because prior to that, Sammy Davis Jr. and Nancy Sinatra kissed on her TV special, Moving with Nancy. Ah. But uh, But that kiss was considered unscripted, whereas Star Trek was, like, written down. It was written in the script, yeah. We're doing this, baby. Yeah. <laughs> it's one of the better episodes of Star Trek as well and features mm-hmm. the old school plot of them running into gods of some sort. These are modeled on like the Greek gods of Athens and they make the crew do all of these sort of things using their mind powers. It's a good episode. One that I've gone back and watched in relatively recent memory. Not and- just for the interracial kiss. <laughs> Yeah, and that was like a big groundbreaking thing. You know, like, I mean, we've talked about this before, and you know, I've had my these kind of conversations with like my friends' kids that you know, race relations in this country have pretty much always been dicey, but they're so much better now. They're not perfect, but they're so much better now than what they were even when you and I were kids. Right, right. You know, this episode came out. Uh, 
a, a little over a year before both of us were born or yep. around a year before both of us were born. That's been normalized in our lifetime, yes. you know, or but prior to our lifetime. But still, it's like a big deal or it seemed like a big deal. It did sort of pave the way. I think it, I think it got a lot of leeway at the time because it was a science fiction show and it was set uh-huh. in the distant future. So that those who would be most like aghast by this spectacle, right, um, were like, well, you know, it's it's not five hundred years from now. Uh, just showing how ass backwards we were as people in the nineteen sixties. Right, I could just imagine like just middle America like <gasps> gasping and clutching their pearls while watching TV. Yeah, it's a, it's sort of a sad statement on on our re- reaction to entertainment and growth. But all of that aside. Uh, I'm glad yep. that Star Trek was the place where that started because that's that show was almost exclusively about understanding equality. Every episode had a component of it that that was a sub story about the equality of people on the ship or different planets or nations and uh, with the general milieu of the show. All right, so moving on to November the 23rd, we have a celebrity <laughs> sort of birthday. Actually, a celebrity that an ex-girlfriend of mine actually had a huge crush on at one time. Yep. I played second fiddle to a fish, Jeff. Uh, (laughs) So, November the 23rd, 1930, Rico Browning, uh, an American director, actor, stuntman, and producer. And when I say I played second fiddle to a fish, he played the creature from the Black Lagoon in the 1950s horror movie of the same name. Ah, the Gill Man. Yes, the Gill Man. There was actually two actors. There was one that played the creature on dry land, and then the other one that played the creature in the swimming scenes underwater. Mm -hmm. So that's the one we're talking about, is Rico Browning is the one who played the creature underwater. Went on to have a super varied career. You'd think, you know, being the underwater half of the Gill Man would be limiting, but yeah, no, not, he, a uh, lot, not a lot of roles. Not a lot no, of roles. Hollywood's but, not banging down your door looking for. We need a fish. Yep. But he was like, he turned out to be the stunt coordinator on Flipper, a show that I watched a zillion million times as a kid. He also got into films. He was the second unit director and stunt coordinator on Thunderball. He was in as a, a director at Caddyshack, Raised the Titanic, Nobody's Perfect, Never Say Never Again. He was. He was involved what? in what? all of these things. He wasn't the director of Caddyshack. He was second unit director. So. Oh, oh, I was about to say, what? Same thing for uh, Police Academy 5. Like, you know. Okay. <laughs> you know, that's a that's a good career to, to, to build coming out of being the uh, fish guy, Gilman. Yeah. If you're second unit director to Police Academy 5, I think your next role is like directing one of the Saw films. <laughs> exactly. Brought, brought to you by the craft services table of the previous Saw film. Oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> wow, that's crazy though. They went on to have such a, a harrow, you know, a harrowing career after that. Yep, and a lot <laughs> of the stuff that he directed as second unit was were underwater and diving scenes. So he definitely had a specialty, but also yep. did some. You know, he wrote he wrote a bunch of episodes of Flipper and uh, some other stuff. So it's a really interesting, interesting career for an interesting guy. And Flipper, for those who don't know, is about a family that befriends a dolphin. This guy yes. has a type. He definitely does. All right, moving on. November the 24th. November the 24th, 1998. America Online, at the time the largest provider of internet uh, access service in the in the U.S., announces a deal to purchase Netscape for $4.21 billion. That's a billion with a B bill. Yep. In about... Six months after this purchase, Microsoft made its Internet Explorer browser free for download (laughs) and effectively, like, took the knees out of the business model that Netscape and America Online had, which was trying to get America Online installed on Compaq and other computers as part of the add-on package to make them attractive to customers. And their advertisement was like, well, you also get the Netscape browser for this significantly reduced cost because Netscape was also selling directly to computer manufacturers to be installed on their machines before they were sold. So let's back out of this for a second for our yep. listeners who don't remember the glory days of uh, early internet access. So the majority of people got online with a dial-up modem. So yes. you would start up your software and more people than not had America Online. Right. And you would call a local number, and then the local number would patch you into a network. 
And then that's how you got to the internet. You had to call on the phone. A lot of time those you'd spend a good half an hour, hour waiting for the line to become free because you get a busy signal. The right. early internet days were terrible. Now, you could get to the internet with AOL or you could just use their software and go to the AOL built-in pages. Right. But if you wanted to get to the actual internet, you had to use either AOL's browser, which was trash, or you could use a third-party browser, and right. Netscape was one of them. Right. And Netscape was kind of like the nerd internet browser. And yes. you know what I really liked about Netscape that I remember is because downloading stuff used to take forever. If you wanted to download a song, right. it would take you like 45 minutes. Yeah. To download one song. One song. Imagine that, kids. 45 minutes to download yeah. one song. You know, the, somebody calls on your call waiting or your sister needs to use the phone or whatever the hell. You know, if you don't finish the download, it's done. But Netscape had a download manager on it. So you could, like, download Pause. partial, get offline, yeah. and then go back and download the rest. It was a good browser, too. It sort of lives on now as Firefox, as the team that originally developed Netscape kind of left when... America Online bought the Netscape browser, but th that's neither here nor there. Another thing, too, is 1998, that's right around the time that, like, broadband became widely accessible. Yes. Like, I remember that a friend of mine, like, as I, I wanted to get broadband, and he goes, hold on, hold on. There's this other thing coming out called DSL, and he actually talked me into waiting for DSL. Mm -hmm. which worked over your normal phone lines, your landlines, right. which wasn't nearly as fast as a broadband. But what was good about it was you could get offline. Right. You know, with broadband, you're always online, for better or for worse. Yeah, I mean, America Online's business model was, by 1998, was rapidly becoming obsolete, which was you paid a flat fee every month for a certain number of minutes of access. And then after those minutes of access expired, you paid 10 or 20 cents, sometimes 25 cents per hour, per minute for access. So the very first time I set up America Online on the very first computer I owned was $14.95 a month and 15 cents, I think, per hour for after the first 100 hours. And I was like, right. I'll never use 100 hours. Ha! Oh, my you used 100 hours your first week, yeah. <laughs> my, my first bill was like $375, and I was like, <laughs> And now, basic internet, I mean, I pay about $95 a month, I think. Yeah. For basic internet with, uh, you know, with the modem rental. And you could buy your own modem, but the way Xfinity works is if you use their modem, the antivirus is free. Yep. Like it's a part of the modem. Right. So if you buy a modem, then you have to buy antivirus software. It just depends on which pocket you have the money taken out of. Well, there's, yeah, there's part of it too. Is So like Comcast will rent you a modem for like $12 a month and every year that's $150. Or I could go buy a Doxis 3.0 modem for $150 and use it for five years. And I only pay for effectively one year of rental for right. those five years until whatever the next version of Doxis is that comes out that requires me to buy another modem. Yeah, but like I said, you have to pay for the antivirus software. Or you could live like a pirate like I do and just not use any <laughs> antivirus software at all. Yeah. Try not to go places that are dangerous. Like, you'll never get stabbed in an alley if you don't ever go in the alley. See? Yep, I've never been bitten by a tiger. Right? <laughs> I've never been bitten by a rattlesnake because I don't go looking for rattlesnakes to bite my ass. <laughs> all right. So moving on to November the 25th. 1965, your friend and mine, Arlo Guthrie, releases the song Alice's Restaurant, the Thanksgiving Day tradition. I love that song. I've loved it since I was a kid. I've had it on vinyl since I was a kid, too. Oh, really? I got turned mm -hmm. on to it when I was in high school. Our shop teacher, Mr. Messier, he's the one that used yep. to talk about it. Yep. He used to talk about the and, motorcycle song, which is also yes. on that record, which because he wrote right. a motorcycle. I don't want yes. a pickle. I just want to ride on my motorcycle. Like, I remember the college station, W, well, at the time was S WUSM, and then right. later at WSMU. I remember wasn't playing it. They used to play it every Thanksgiving. It's a long song to play on the radio. It's like 18 minutes long. WHJY used to play it, I think, all day on Thanksgiving. They would just set it up and leave. I'm, I'm no. pretty sure that was, that was how they did it. No, why not, right? Right. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's officially called the... Alice's Restaurant Massacre, 
three-part harmony. It's, yeah, and it's it's mostly a talking song with a you know some guitar work in the background mm-hmm. of you know the best Thanksgiving meal you ever had. Yeah, the <laughs> it's a you know it's a long story, and it was right around the time of Vietnam. So there's some you know anti-war sentiment in that. My experience with the song was funny. It was last year. Uh, I had gone out to Cincinnati for Thanksgiving that year, staying with my friend Taylor, who's now listening, you know, whose ears just perked up like a dog because she heard her name because she listens who's to the now? show. I was staying, uh, you know, at a house with her and her husband, and you know, she was up before I was, and she was, you know, cooking for Thanksgiving, and she's listening to Alice's Restaurant, right? And I go in to the kitchen to say good morning and hi and all that, and I'm humming along with the song, and she's like. Oh, you know this song? I was like, why would I not know this song? <laughs> and right. She says, well, I no, I just kind of figured it was like a Midwest thing. I was like, nope, nope, that's an everywhere thing. It's it, it's an everywhere thing, and it's a song that's set in Stockbridge, Massachusetts. So it's a New England oh, thing. Oh, is it? Yeah, Stockbridge, Massachusetts. Oh, so, yeah, what the hell are you talking about, Taylor? It's a New England thing. Right, it's a I New England thing. As far as you know about it. <laughs> I didn't realize it was a Massachusetts song. Oh, yeah, Stockbridge, Mass., uh, where Arlo Guthrie, I don't know if he lived there, but he, he was there for a while, and um, that's... I wonder if he knew Norman Greenbaum. Greenbaum, right, from Malden. I know that the church, of, I think they eventually tore the church down that's in that song and the restaurant to go with it, but uh, it was there for a long time. You should be able to drive to it and see it and stuff. Oh, wow. Have you ever seen the movie? You can see, yeah, I have. I've seen the movie. You can see the hill where he threw all the trash down and all that. I put it on, I don't know, maybe three years ago, right at the beginning of the pandemic when I stopped going out for Thanksgiving. So that would have been like 2020. Yeah. You know, I was making vegetarian Swedish meatballs because that's what vegetarians eat for Thanksgiving dinner. And my kids yep. are in the kitchen and they're listening to it as I'm like humming along with it and laughing and singing some of the parts and telling some of the story. And they're like, what? on earth even is this and why are you listening to it on thanksgiving i'm like oh let me start it again from the beginning because that's what i do and they kind of appreciated the weird storytelling aspect of it and Mm -hmm. they certainly liked the guitar playing of it but when it got to like the draft part i had to stop the song because they had questions like what what is he talking about what's a draft board i don't understand what they mean what's so like i had to fill in all of these pieces and parts about Right. What was going on in the song because they didn't have a historical context like I did to make right. it make sense. A couple of weeks ago in real time at the uh, King Richard's Fair at the morning meeting, my boss had said something and he goes, I'm not proud or tired. <laughs> and I, I perked right up. I go, that's Alice's Restaurant, right? And he look, he turns real quick and looks at me and he's like very excited that I picked up on his reference. Yep. Yeah, I still reference the circles and arrows in a paragraph on the back describing each one whenever I <laughs> hand somebody a picture. All right, and then let's wrap up the week. November 26, 1930. Rich Little, the Canadian impressionist and stalwart member of 1970s TV, is born. Now, what do you remember of Rich Little? Rich Little had a horrible haircut. and <laughs> Yes, he did. <laughs> uh, so what I remember about him, Rich Little is like my parents' era of comedian. Yeah. Even though there was a big generation gap. But like Rich Little is the comedian like before I was a teenager. Right. And I remember when we first got HBO, there was a special that would come on every year, Rich Little's Christmas Carol. Right. And Rich Little played like every single part in the <laughs> yeah. in the Christmas Carol, but he would do impersonations of all the celebrities of the day and you know, prior to that. So anybody that wasn't like elder Gen X right. or boomers, like they're not gonna know any of these celebrities. Like right. I believe Ebenezer Scrooge was his depiction of W. C. Fields. Yeah, that's how I remember it, too. Yeah, that's how I really remember it, too. And uh, I'm sure Johnny Carson was in there and I'm a few sure. others. And then there was another one, too. Do you remember he did um, Rich Little's Robin Hood? That I do not remember. At that point, I was probably way into more edgy comedy like Lamb Chop the Puppet. No, kidding. Um, <laughs> um, no, what I remember about George the, Carlin the, and stuff. the Robin Hood one was Carol Channing who's barely a celebrity, but she was made Marion. That's oh. literally all I remember about Rich Little's Robin Hood. I'm sure one of his impressions on that show was Paul Lind. 
Yes. I remember he used to yeah, do absolutely. all over impression. So, I mean, impressionist comedy, out of all the impression, like, here's an example. Uh, do you know who Melissa Villasenor is? Do you know who that is? I have no idea. Okay, so she was on Saturday Night Live for like six years. She used to work at like a under-21 store in California, and then she ended up on America's Got Talent doing imp- impersonations, right. and she's fantastic, but she's fantastic at doing impressions. I watched her do stand-up, and it was like horrible. I would hate to have been her on that stage. You could like w- just watch her die. Hers. <laughs> yeah. And she talks about that too. She was like, I'm really good at impressions, but I had to put like a comedy act together. And when I do the impressions, everyone's laughing. And then I'm telling my jokes and it's like, mm-hmm. nobody's yep. laughing. Cause that's all yeah. I wanted to hear. I think that's kind of, imp- impressionist comedy. I don't know. Rich little had that market cornered. Yep. In the 70s. And then, like I said, Melissa Vigna Senor. But that's all I can really think of off the top of my head. I mean, she I needs remember, a stage name. I remember Jonathan Winters. He used to kind of be funny and he would do impressions sometimes. Yep. But where I remember the Rich Little from the most, though, is I know I was as surprised as you when I went to look and see if he was still among us, and he is, was that he had uh-huh. his own variety show in the 1970s. That I don't remember. But I remember oh him God. being. Jeff. I remember him being on every variety show. That I can remember yeah, but, from the 1970s. But basically, I had my own variety show in the 1970s. <laughs> yeah, admittedly. I think we all had to have one, yes. But I was surprised. I don't remember his show. I don't remember watching his show at all, but I remember watching him on like Sonny and Cher and Captain and yeah. Teal and uh, any yeah, of the at that other point, ones. Like, oh, thank God we got cable television. And then he shows yeah. up on cable. Yeah. Right. Goddamn Canadians. <laughs> all right. So before we move on to our worst movie ever, which, oh, goodness. Uh, but uh, we do have our uh, weird holidays for this week. Uh, this Friday is Black Friday, but it is also Buy Nothing Day. So the yin and yang of consumerism. Have you or do you um, take part in any kind of like Black Friday kind of extravaganza? Uh, my Black Friday extravaganza is hanging around at my house. That's yep. as extravagant as I get. I'm not one who goes to sort of karate fight people to get a Cabbage Patch Kid or... You know, put someone in a in a headlock so that I can get a Furby or some other silly thing. I'm of the age enough to just assume that everything that is on sale was marked up two weeks ago by whatever amount that they're selling it for on sale right now. So I'll just yeah. wait and buy something later if I need it. And I do most of my shopping. Oh, um, oh, I'm sorry. What did I say? That said, did I say my local stores owned by local businesses? Of course, that's what I meant. Um, <laughs> most of my shopping I do throughout the year from the comfort of my own office chair yeah for lack of a better description that's that's a habit that they say we all got into during the pandemic but i was doing that way before the pandemic exactly i was a trendsetter (laughs) oh yeah yeah no i mean seriously it's been years years jeff since i've gone quote-unquote christmas shopping like going to the mall and like looking around saying oh that would be nice for so-and-so that'd be i haven't done that in forever It's just like, oh, okay, so, like you did with your kids. Send me your Amazon list and I'll fill it out, yeah. My one experience that I can remember with Black Friday, or two experiences, I should say, I was down in Florida visiting my friend down there, and I was seeing people uh, from this area posting pictures of the local Best Buy yeah. on Thanksgiving night with, like, tents yeah. camping out so that they could buy, like, whatever television was going to go on sale the next day. And it's like, y'all going to be out your freaking minds. (laughs) Don't you want to hang around with your family and eat pie and like fall asleep on the couch? Like, isn't that what Thanksgiving is for? I mean, I don't want to do that either, but I don't want to, you know, to say, I mean, I don't know. Let's just say you're going to, you're going to spend, you're going to save, I should say at most $200 on some big ass TV. Right. So you're going to save $200. Dude, I will pay you $200 so I don't have to camp outside of a Best Buy in Dartmouth, Massachusetts. Well, and, and potentially have to, again, potentially have to Jackie Chan your way to the friggin' TVs that are for sale because there's only eight of them for sale and there's 47 people outside ready to kill. Right. It, yeah, you know? and statistically, you might not get it. Right. Yeah. The other story I had was, I need. this is so many years ago, I needed a new VCR and my friend yeah. worked for Walmart. <laughs> that is a few was, years ago. <laughs> yeah. 
That's like my 30 minutes from... ago. <laughs> yeah, no shit, right? Yeah. Um, my friend worked for Walmart, and he was telling me that there was you know, a Black Friday deal on a VCR. He goes, here's the thing. Everybody, there's going to be so many people there, but they're all going to be there for Furbies because the Furbies are going to be going on sale or whatever, right? right? He goes, what you're going to do is you're just going to get through that cow shoot of all these people going in there to buy Furbies. They're going to be in one line. You're going to make a beeline to the back of the store. You're going to grab the VCR, go use that register at the in the electronic section. He goes and get the hell out of there because there's going to be fights. <laughs> not my, not my thing. There are people out there, Jeff. There are people out there with like very uh, visceral memories of getting their asses kicked for a Furby. How would oh, you like I, that? I'm sure. Uh, How would yeah, you like me, that in your life story? Yeah. Right. Having to explain that to your kids when you know Thanksgiving rolls around, you go, "Mom, you want to? Can you take me to the store? They've got a sale on whatever the new thing is. That's really cool." And no, I can't. I can't do it. I can't do it. And it was no. uh, it was it was 30 years ago, and I was in the line at the local Walmart, and that's the year of the Furby, the year of the Furby, and all of a sudden there's this it's long, that- terrifying story about getting your ass wailed on by some other mother because she couldn't, she got the green Furby that you couldn't get to. Uh, like in one of those movie flashbacks where you hear like all the machine gun fire, you just hear the noises of the Furby. I'm just waiting for like one of my friend's kids to be like, you know, Uncle Bill, what's a Furby? I don't fucking know. Furby. <laughs> it's like the gremlin a, before they got it wet or some shit with batteries. Got a VCR, in it. yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I watched on that VCR, Jeff? I watched the worst movie ever. Okay, Jeff, you son of a bitch. <laughs> yeah, this was this was an all Jeff special right here. Yeah, I didn't know your father well, but I feel much closer to him now. <laughs> <laughs> so um, when I was a kid, we would have the occasional father and son's movie day or movie night. My dad had a favorite film when he was a kid, which was the original King Kong. And like the first time I remember him taking me to the movies, yep. he took my brothers and I to see the re-release, the, the remake of King Kong, the, the Dilo and De Laurentiis one. Uh, 1977 with, uh, with nine, Jeff Bridges? 1976, I think, with Jeff Bridges. But yeah, the same one. Okay. After that was he took us to see Star Wars, and after Star Wars, he was more than happy to take us to the movies one or two times a year. My dad yep. was pretty busy, so we saw stuff like The Sword and the Sorcerer, which was terrible. We saw Time Bandits, which was also terrible. Sorry, yep. folks who like the Time Bandits. But there was one time he said, uh, "You know, why don't we go to the movies on Sunday? What do you guys want to see?" And I said, "Oh, I want to see Treasure of the Four Crowns. It's in three <laughs> D." And he said, okay, okay, so this is 1982. In the very early goings of the 80s, there was this resurgent popularity of 3D movies. Now, yes. 3D movies have always, not always been around, but they've been around. They were, there was a lot of movies in the 1950s. There was a fad in the 50s of 3D movies. And it always kind of comes and goes out in and out of vogue. And there was a big popularity of 3D movies in the 80s. And yes. this movie was, well, this movie's one of them, isn't it? <laughs> of all the 3D movies I've seen, this is one of them, correct? Yes. Yep. So uh, this movie is called The Treasure of the Four Crowns. You've seen Raiders, Star Wars, Aliens, and Close Encounters. But you are about to experience a totally new dimension in entertainment. Forged from the wealth of kings, source of the magical powers of good and evil, unleashed in the hands of a madman. Now, five daring heroes defy the odds in a deadly quest to capture the greatest prize of them all. Go for it! Treasure of the Four Crowns. This movie is a blatant ripoff of Raiders of the Lost Ark. As a matter of fact, it even has the same cadence, Raiders of the Lost Ark, Treasure of the Four Crowns. I would argue that this film is a ripoff of the first 12 minutes of Raiders of the Lost Ark, and that's it. (laughs) The scene where where Indiana Jones goes to get the head, 
The little yeah. head statue, and then runs out again. That's this movie. The way I was, I'm watching this movie, and I was like thinking that it's a, a ripoff of Raiders of the Lost Ark. It's almost like instead of somebody going to see Raiders of the Lost Ark, Raiders of the Lost Ark was a dream that they had, and they were trying to, <laughs> and they're yes. trying to describe it to you. So the movie opens with your hero and mine, J.T. Stryker, a no, soldier Striker. of fortune. Yes. Uh, <laughs> who's played by your friend and mine, uh, Tony Anthony, with him almost beat for beat like the Tiki Idol uh, scene from Raiders of the Lost Ark, mm-hmm. where he's in this... I don't know where he was. He was like at a castle or something, right? This whole movie was filmed in Spain. Um, yep. it, this is a, the equivalent of like a spaghetti western, but it's a spaghetti Indiana Jones ripoff, so... Right. I don't know if that means it's fettuccine or whatever, but yeah, I don't I don't know what the local cuisine is in right. Spain, but yeah, yeah. so uh, but it's it's directed by uh, an Italian guy named Fernando Baldi who did a bunch of like Italian TV and directed all of Tony Anthony's lousy movies, but it, it was shot in Spain where all of these kind of films were shot. So it starts out at a Spanish castle with him going in to retrieve a key. Oh, is and, that what it was? That's right. Yeah, yeah it was a key. From, for the, and, so for the first 20 minutes, he just dodges like clumsy 3D spears, arrows, things that fall off the shelf, stuff that sticks out of the wall, <laughs> candle sconces. This whole place is booby-trapped with, you know, uh, shooting arrows and yeah. this, that, and the other. And like the way, and there was like a lot of like dead bodies, like hanging around yep. like skeletons and stuff. Yep. And I couldn't help but think to myself, what was this place like when like it was active? <laughs> <laughs> my thought this as, must as have it, been my, my thought is it was going convenient to, to get around yeah it was definitely packed with stuff like whoever lived in that castle was a hoarder 800 years yeah. ago as i was watching it i kept thinking like it, he's passing a lot of like gold stuff you think he'd want to take that some of that gold stuff it, yeah like, there's, you, like, you should have brought a fanny stuff. pack or something yeah, yeah. like now he doesn't even have a backpack this guy he's got nothing he's got to stuff it all in his pants like you, you know if you're gonna raid an 800 year old spanish castle you want to be bringing some, at least, pillowcases with you. I am ill-prepared. And another thing about this castle is this castle was very heavily populated with a bunch of very dangerous animals. <laughs> or stock footage of very dangerous animals, such as <laughs> bats and wolves and dogs and snakes, none of which appear in the film for real. So the snakes, that's just like every like possible 3D gimmick, you know? Yep. That was another thing, too. Like, when you go see movies that are in 3D now, I mean, the, all the Marvel movies in 3D and stuff. Right. It's more about, like, immersion, you know? Yeah, depth. These movies were straight-up gimmicky, like, hey, <laughs> would you like a cigarette? And it's just, like, handing you the cigarette, right. you know, through right. the screen and stuff. Right. He gets out of this castle, and m- the majority of the budget just, like, is explosions in yes. the castle and much like our f- worst movie ever a few uh, weeks ago there with the uh the perfect soldier i don't know what happened at that castle that made it explode like that <laughs> i don't know a lot about castles right but I-, I don't think there's a lot of pressurized gas yeah yeah i don't think they're made of explodium bricks either i, I think yeah. that the reason that it-, it exploded the way that it did was because well that was the final trap but it was probably because the the key that he found, which is this little, it looks like a little plastic lollipop with a plastic gem in it yeah. um, that sometimes blinks, is apparently magic. And I think that it was leaving the, because the cat, that was leaving the castle is why they literally detonated like 70,000 tons of TNT uh, in front of the cat, in front of the castle to create the explosions. From there, our friend JT Stryker goes to Rome where he gives the key to the museum guy who had sent him off to find it. This belongs in a museum! Who takes the time to explain to him, like, oh, now I can open this brass crown. Let me tell you about the treasure of the four crowns. There are four crowns. Actually, there's only three because the Turks destroyed one in 1300. Like, all right, well then just call the it treasure of the exposition of the four crowns. Right, yeah, exactly. Like, it's useless information. And the other two are being held by this cult and one holds pure evil and one holds pure good and if you have them both I don't know what you get you get to pick a vowel on <laughs> wheel of fortune or something but without this key we'll never be able to open this crown which has the instructions to get the other crowns or something so they open up this other crown and there's a little scroll and he translates it from <laughs> what looks like english to english uh, <laughs> talking about where the other crowns are and how to, what they do and then they try and get J.T. Stryker to go get the other crowns. And he basically says, like, no, 
I'm not doing it. Give me my money. I'm done. And he leaves. So the very next scene is him with like the friend of the museum guy going into this cabin. Oh, it actually goes to a bar in the in the Alps and asks for Jim. They tell him that Jim is drunk and has staggered home. So they go to Jim's house and Jim is an alcoholic. And they're going to hire Jim because he's a climber. Right. To go and get the crowns. Like, so there's a whole scene missing of like being convinced to go get the crowns. And what to do about it. Right. So now, yeah, JT Stryker over here is assembling what essentially comes down to the the scene in Armageddon where he's getting this like ragtag bunch of just like the worst dregs of society, but they're the best at what they do. So right. they get this one guy who's just like a blithering alcoholic. <laughs> yes. Incapable of staying sober for even five minutes. Yeah. Then another guy is like a clown at a circus, which yes. is weird. Like what a reach. Uh, there was a girl, and then there was another dude who had an awesome name. What was his name? Prometheus or something? No, that was the clown, Socrates. Socrates, that was it. Okay. Yeah, Socrates was the clown slash strongman. There was a girl who was a trapeze artist whose name I can't remember. And then there was the henchman of the museum guy who apparently was best friends with J.T. Stryker, which we yeah. learn way at the end of this movie. Hold on. One thing yep. I'd like to point out is whenever they were like in the museum or in the cab or whatever, and there's actual dialogue, because the first 20 minutes in the castle, nobody's talking, you know? Right. Except for the bats. Um, <laughs> but whenever like the dialogue is happening, I'm like, oh, this is a foreign film. That was oh, my, yeah. initial th- my initial thought. Right, that there, there was like overdubs and stuff, but then I'm looking and I'm like, no, their lips are matching up with the, what they're saying, but not really. So what did Apple is they recorded all this movie silently, and then all the sound was put in post production. Yes, there's a reason they did that. It's just like any other cheapo spaghetti Western movie. So there's money that's invested in making this movie in Germany and Israel yep. and France and Spain and all these places. They do it all post-production sound. They shoot it in English because that's going to be the biggest market where they try to sell this. And yep. then they just do a soundtrack in Polish and Spanish and French. And it's sold in those countries as the film, but it's dubbed into the local language. The four crowns, le treasure. <laughs> Featuring only three crowns. So now they're going to break into this other castle, which looks suspiciously like the first castle, except it's not on fire and a, a lack of bats. <laughs> and the um, camera's in a different place to show it from a different angle. Right, right. So yeah, there's this like death cult in there. The guy looks, the head of the cult looks so much like Sean Connery, it's distracting. Yes. So he's like, show me your soul. They're doing some sort of like torture ritual on this one person who's like super into it, but not as into it as the rest of the cult. Now, uh, JT and his ragtag bunch of miscreants are going to like sneak in so they can steal the crown. Right. They are shimmying across the ceiling with like ropes and trapeze because the girl's a trapeze. Of course she is. And they're all shimmying and, and across this thing in the longest sequence i've ever seen in my life <laughs> it is like crawl across the ceiling the motion picture for sure yeah the, the reason they have to do that and they spend a long time talking about like well this is they have a model like of the they have a whole model of the of the compound at the museum where they all come to get their briefing before they go yeah right down to the point where they can like lift off the top and like there's like little cult members inside inside of the rooms it's like a, the cult member playset. it's like in this hallway there's a pressurized floor that if even one ounce is put on it, it'll trigger an alarm. And then if you touch the walls, it'll trigger an alarm. And if you look to the left, it'll trigger an alarm. If you look to the right, see if you can guess what happens. Alarm. There's lasers. There's smoke. There's all these things. And there's millions of guys with masks on for no good reason to come and shoot you if the alarm goes off. And the only way to get there is to climb across the ceiling. A rational filmmaker would shoot the scene... <laughs> A rational filmmaker would say, like, okay, we got to get him across the ceiling. That's, like, two cuts. And then we'll put him with the crowns, and then they have to fight their way out. Okay, totally got that. That's, like, ten minutes of film. In this film, they shoot every single inch of climbing across the ceiling in real time. To the point where the only thing that they're cutting between is which carabiner is being clicked onto a rope or uh, into an eyelet that's being hung by the person in the front of the line. That's the girl going across the ceiling first. It takes yep. like 35 minutes for them to climb, <laughs> to climb across the ceiling. There's no dialogue. There's just grunting. 
There's yep. absolutely nothing going on. And it just keeps cutting back to the cult, which is apparently is a doomsday cult. But it's clearly a guy who's trying to rip off people for money because he's doing a fake healing. Though it's another thing, too, was at this point in time with all the carabiners and the ropes and all that, I was convinced that Phil Spector was the Foley artist <laughs> in this movie because all of the like little sound effects that are usually very subtle that you barely even notice them, right. like footsteps and stuff like that, all of them were super loud. The ropes made like creaky noises yeah like a door like a door open it's like it's a rope they don't creak well you know you gotta have some sound uh yeah. if no one is speaking because everyone is hanging upside down on this wooden beam trying to get across the floor to the where the, where the crowds I mean, are i mean i realize that this is you know in the age before digital editing but it's like hey somebody deleted my rope dot wave file what do we do <laughs> <laughs> so he lowers himself down some of the booby traps go off and this that and the other he opens up the two crowns and there's these two like hand-sized balls yeah. yeah inside and oopsie daisy he set off the alarm so the doomsday cult is coming in so one of these balls is evil one of these balls is good and he grabs one in each hand and in the most comedic thing I've seen in a very long time, his head spins around a good 40 times in yeah. rapid, like, zing around. It's like, that, you're not going to sleep good tonight, dude. That's going to hurt. So, yeah, his head spins around. And the girl is, like, a little freaked out by this, but I was freaked out more watching it. I think she could have added a little bit more emotional depth to it. Also, meanwhile, while all this was going on, the drunk guy, he got a a booby trap spike, like, through him. He's dead. And then Socrates, like, fell. Nope, Socrates had a heart attack. Is that what happened to him? Yeah, Socrates had a heart attack. He was the guy who was anchoring everybody climbing across the ceiling, and he was getting oh, more right. and more. He was getting more and more struggly as more people kept getting up on the ceiling, and then finally he fell, and then he upside down. He he had a heart attack and died. Oh, I missed that. I must have been like out of the room when he had the heart attack because I just like I saw him fall in slow motion, which you know took a bit. Yeah, and. And then he was, like, hanging upside down for, like, a good, like, 30 seconds and then died. And I was like, that's a thing? You can die? (laughs) Oh, Jesus. I'm lucky, man. I did that a lot when I was a kid. So, anyway, everybody's dead except for the girl and JT. Uh, Also, another thing. JT has three facial expressions that he makes throughout (laughs) this movie. And he holds them for very, very long periods of time. Yes. And, And they're not, like over-the-top facial expressions it's like almost arrogance i should say like look at this wise guy that kind of an expression and he makes it a lot so anyway his head spins around a bunch of times he's got the power balls in each hand and then he turns around and faces the camera and one half of his face is all like bulbous and melted and the other half is like fine what i I like to say is half of his face is a rubber mask that's spirit gummed to the side yeah. And the other face is not spirit gummed. And, yeah, they ran the out of spirit mask. gum, right? Yeah. <laughs> and then he starts like shooting fire out of these balls, yep. which is uncomfortable to say. But he starts <laughs> shooting fire out of these and just like wipes out the cult. That goes on for a very, 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 very long time too. That whole it goes on so long that the leader of the cult, like Brother Tobias or whatever his name is, Sean Connery. The- the Sean Connery guy with an eye painted on his head who runs in there like he's like the third person in the room right all the cult members come after him all the guards come after the machine guns and he stands there long enough for a bunch of his guards to get killed and then him to get killed like it's like four minutes of him standing there watching people just burn up around him and then he's like well all right I guess it's my turn but it was like the Raiders of the Lost Ark final sequence where like their faces melted but his was like chipping away (laughs) yeah yes I mean, it was okay for special effects, okay for practical effects, but right. it still kind of sucked. That was they take the keys and the girls all right and JT's okay and he makes another face and I'm pretty sure they kissed and that was pretty much the end of the movie. I, I don't even know that they kissed. I think I re- the last thing I remember was I blacked out, which is entirely possible. Uh, yeah. Was them them hanging underneath a model helicopter, being flown, flown away from the castle. 
That's what I remember is the end of the film. At the very end, the very, very end of the movie, there's like this Monterey eel that just like jumps out of the camera that has nothing to do with the rest of the film. It was like, <laughs> we spent the money on these 3D cameras. We may right. as well do something with it. Yeah, We need, we need an eel. Uh, put the it's eel like, you son in. of a bitch, you better not be setting up a sequel. So what's so funny, like in this and 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 how it's so it's so shoddily put together is apparently all of these characters know one another already before the movie starts and we have mm-hmm. no idea why they have a relationship so when JT and Edmund that's the museum guys compadre they're apparently friends and then when they go to find Rick Edmund doesn't know who Rick is but JT Stryker knows who Rick is but they don't have any they never talk about why they know each other or how they know each other I don't other. know who Rick is Rick is the drunk. Oh, okay. And then they go to the circus to get Socrates and... What the hell was the girl's name? Liz. And then there's no reason why he would know Socrates and there's other than they know each other. But they never talk about how they know each other or how they know or how he knows Liz or what the relationship between Liz and Socrates is. So for this <laughs> movie, I spent a lot of my time going like, are Liz and Socrates like father and daughter? Are Liz and Socrates married? Are they like weird older boyfriend, younger girlfriend? Are they like uncle and and niece? Like what the hell is what the hell is their relationship? They certainly converse with one another like they're married, but at the end of the film, she just doesn't seem as broken up about him being dead as if he was her husband. It was real. It was really yeah. really weird. Yeah, it's like we need some character development. Character development. Shit. We got a Monterey <laughs> eel that's gonna right. jump out of the camera. Right. We got we got three dimensional shit to shoot. We don't have time for this character stuff. Characters. We got bats. Right. All right. So before we wrap up the oh, show, wait. I do- no, no, wait, wait. We can't, we can't stop there. We have to stop with this. So what, what was the outcome of me recommending this film to my family? So as we're sitting in the cinema, and the model helicopter flies away with the two little plastic people representing JT Striker and Liz hanging underneath yep. it, my dad looks at me. Does we haven't even moved yet? And he goes, "You're never allowed to pick the movie again." And I was never allowed to pick the movie again until I moved out of my house. I'm having similar thoughts. But, I mean, we <laughs> we need bad movies for the podcast, so yes. I guess you get a pass. But, oh, <sighs> God, this one was tough. This one took me four sittings. On a scale from one to ten chuds, one being a very excellent and watchable experience, ten chuds being the worst movie of all time, I, I'm going to say this is like nine, a hard nine chuds, dude. This was horrible. So I, I think there are, I'm going to score this two ways. One, if you're, if you're going into this movie cold and you don't even have like pizza and friends to watch it with, it's a nine. Nine chuds for sure. Yep. But if you're going into it and you have some like wine or beer or, you know, some other stuff and some pizza and you've got some friends who have like wise ass attitudes, this movie is an easy three chuds. Because it's a lot of fun to surprisingly it all over. Yeah. And that makes it a lot more fun than just trying to, like, put it on by mistake and watch it by yourself because you'll never sit all the way through it. Uh, That's what I had to do. It took me four tries. And one of them was, like, last night. I was like, oh, yeah, that's right. I'm going to finish watching it. Uh, It is a... It is available on Blu-ray with a 3D processing on it. Mm, I have to get myself a copy. Yeah, and I got the VR helmet, so I could possibly watch it like that. Oh, God. Why would you want to do that? (laughs) I don't know. Why would you want to put yourself through that, Bill? I don't know, man. If I do do that, like, call somebody, you know. Yeah, you Uh, better have a chaperone at the house just to keep an eye on you. Yeah, do a wellness check. So, at any rate, uh, before we wrap up the show, I do have my very popular, always well-received, and Thanksgiving-based trivia question. Hey, Jeff. Hey. Multiple choice. Yeah, multiple choice. Turkeys. Uh, Is it the male, the female, or both that do the gobble-gobble noise? I'm pretty sure it's the Tom turkeys that do the gobble-gobble noise. That would be the males, which is my question? Yes, Yes, the males, the toms. So, yeah, the girl turkeys make like a cackle noise, and the boy turkeys do the gobble-gobble noise. Yes. And my question is, is it like chickens where you only eat the female turkeys? Nope. You can eat the Tom turkeys, too. Okay. Because uh, I know you don't really eat the male tur- uh, the male chickens because the the meat is too tough. Yeah, the, you got That's why the French call it coca vin. Like you you cook it all day in wine, and then if when you're so drunk from drinking the wine, waiting for it to cook in wine, then you can choke it down. <laughs> all right, so that's gonna wrap up the show for this week. We'll see you back here in seven days. 
Say goodnight, Jeff. Goodnight, Jeff. Bye, guys. Bye, everybody. A special thanks to James Costa for our theme music. Find us or message us on Facebook or Instagram at Twibly or T-W-W-W-B-L-Y. Subscribe if you haven't already and tell your friends. And better yet, throw us a ranking over at the Apple Podcast app. A five-star ranking.